All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode on the Authors Unite show. Um, today, I got Maggie Green with us. She's the owner of the Green Apron Company and founder of the online program Cookbook Writers Academy. Maggie is a dietitian and cookbook author, and she coaches cookbook writers and teaches dietitians, moms, bakers, and cooks how to write a cookbook and get it published. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Tyler. I'm excited to be here. Of course. Grateful to have you on. Um, I think you might, you might be our first cookbook author. I feel bad if you're not, but I think you are. Well, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm glad that I am the first and I, um, maybe it's a, you know, open up, to open up the idea to other cookbook authors and just thinking about cookbooks as a viable and really um, actually quite popular genre of writing. Yeah. So let's actually dive into that because I, you know, before we uh, hopped on to the podcast, you were saying you have four books of your own that have been traditionally published. So let's actually start from, from the beginning. What okay. is the process like of writing or putting together a cookbook? Because I'm sure there's like pictures involved too. So what's that process like? Right, right. So my first cookbook was published in 2011. It, the name of the book is The Kentucky Fresh Cookbook, and it's a seasonal cooking journey through a Kentucky year. And it is still in print. And the interesting thing about that book is it did not actually have any photographs. Um, the publisher that published it, we decided on a style of a book um, connected to a popular cookbook called the Moosewood Cookbook. The Moosewood series is um, based on a restaurant in Ithaca, New York. It's a very warm, friendly, inviting paperback cookbook that has um, illustrations and no photography. So, um, that book really still is the, my favorite one that I wrote personally. It's very close to what I do every day and what I believe in and what I teach when I think about cooking and food and health, um, you know, being able to nourish ourselves and eat at home. The process typically starts either with someone saying to you, hey, have you ever thought about writing a book or writing a cookbook or with you or a writer or not even a writer, but someone who has a set of recipes or stories or specialized knowledge or techniques that they want to preserve and share with a larger audience. Got it. And then, so, you know, what's interesting now, cause I also told you this before we hopped on that my mom's very much into cooking. When I think about it now growing up, I feel like a lot of like the, the classic cookbooks actually did not have pictures. Right. Uh, and it's, it's more like the newer, and I guess there's different styles, um, but it's interesting. I feel like the ones maybe without pictures, those ones have like the, the secret recipes. Yeah, I think, I think photography and cookbooks is, first of all, it is hugely popular and it yeah. has become something that a lot of people have started to expect. Although recently there was a very popular cookbook written called Salt, Fat, Acid, and Heat, and it did not have any photographs, and it was, I mean, wildly popular bestseller and a Netflix um, documentary and special that was written based on the book. But I think that social media, if I had to guess, has really driven the popularity of people needing to see photos of finished dishes or step-by-step -step processes in cookbooks. Because you're right, um, up until we had all of this type of visualization of food in our faces like all the time on social media or um, wherever 
we would eat in restaurants with menus that didn't have pictures and we would read cookbooks with books that didn't have a lot of photography. And it was up to us to just decide, okay, I think I'm going to learn how to make this, you know, pumpkin soup and I don't need a picture to figure it out. Got it. And then, so how the traditionally published route, can you walk us through like the pro, well, obviously you've done it four times. So obviously I think you lean towards that, but pros and cons of yeah. it. It's yeah, your sure. Sure. Yeah. And I think the pros of being a traditionally published cookbook author um, for me personally was that I was running um, the Green Apron Company. My, you know, I, was, I had a business. I had, um, I started my work as a personal chef. I um, added writing cookbooks. I've done, you know, custom content creation, food and nu nutrition information and writing and recipes for corporate clients. And I was doing that and my cookbook was kind of a part of that. So I did not really want to invest my time in the editing, design and printing of that book. I decided that um, traditional publishing would be the way that I wanted to go. And it's funny though, I don't think I really even consciously decided that. I guess I was just kind of living um, my life in such a way that I was visible in my community, visible in my state, with the work I did as a personal chef, the work I did um, as a volunteer for Chefs Collaborative and the Slow Food Movement and um, some other local fundraisers. And I actually met someone who was an acquisitions editor at a publishing house. So some people would say, well, Maggie, that was the reason you were able to get a contract is because you met somebody who worked at a, for a publisher. And I would say, well, that's partially true, but I also was still, there was something about me and the kind of person I was being that attracted them to say, have you ever thought about writing a cookbook of your own? And then I had to decide to follow through with that. So um, you could even, if there's anybody listening to this that has, you know, wants to maybe package their recipes or stories or techniques in a cookbook, just let me be the person that says, have you ever thought of writing a cookbook of your own? And tell you that traditional publishing, while you, um, you submit a cookbook proposal to them, which is your idea for your cookbook, who you are and why this topic would be viable in we'll say 2020 because that's what the traditional publishing model probably would mean. It would probably be 2020 or 20, 2021 before it's unprinted. Um, if you can communicate that in a proposal um, and you can inspire the publisher to offer you a contract, the good news is you don't have to write your whole manuscript before you get your contract. And the other good news is then I think is that I have a partner in helping me to create a beautiful cookbook for my readers. Um, I don't have to be the specialist in editing, design, printing, production, marketing, promotion. I can work with the publisher on that. So the, the first step then is, you know, kind of distilling down your ideas, coming up with a concept, and then for a traditional publisher, actually writing a proposal. Got it. Okay. And then when did you, let's go way, way back. When did you realize like you wanted to be like a, a chef? Well, um, I was a registered dietitian um, by my training and education. I graduated from the University of Kentucky and I worked in hospitals and oh. I actually was specialized in prescribing tube feedings and IV nutrition for very, very sick people in intensive care. And it occurred to me one day that that was a very specialized subset of people 
and the way that they obtain their nutrition through, you know, IV therapy and tube feedings. And um, I started thinking about the other 95%, probably even more than that. I'd say 98%, maybe even a lot more than that of the world that their nutrition comes mostly through their own kitchens. Got it. Okay. Because I doubt anybody's eating out all the time or eating school lunches all the time. I really felt like our kitchens were um, where we needed to focus and did we know how to feed ourselves. So I decided I wanted to learn more about the cooking piece and I um, became trained in um, culinary arts, started to cook privately for people in their homes. And I guess it just kind of took off from there when I started having a family of my own and really invested my time in feeding us in a way that, um, you know, used real ingredients and food and it wasn't complicated things, but I really committed to being a home cook as well and um, planning meals and getting them on the table. And I guess it was kind of an experiment just seeing what happened. And um, I think the, the benefits have been rewarding and that is really what formed the foundation for what I wrote in my first book, Kentucky Fresh. Got it. Okay. And then can you, um, just so I know exactly what it is, a dietitian, what exactly yes. is that? Yeah. So a dietitian is trained in um, dietetics. It's a four-year degree um, that looks at um, science-based nutrition and studies the way that diet can be an integral part of the treatment of chronic diseases in particular. Um, it's now called, if you were to study it, a lot of people would say it might be called medical nutrition therapy. Just like you have physical therapy, occupational therapy, um, different kinds of therapies to help people heal, medical nutrition therapy is a part of that as well. So do your cookbooks potentially have like maybe like two options, like maybe maybe one option is like, yo, listen, if you don't care at all about the nutrition, like you just want to have a great meal, go for this. Or if you want to substitute, maybe, you know, use like stevia instead of sugar it still tastes, you know, or is it like, which way do you kind of lean with your cooking? Yeah, I tended to lean with uh, audience that did not have any chronic diseases, but that really just wanted to cook better at home with yeah. a focus on the ingredients as being the driver of the quality of the recipe and the nutritional value of the recipe at the end in terms of, you know, fresh vegetables, um, things that would be ingredients that would maybe, I think the best way to think about it is um, ingredients that are pretty um, clean is kind of a buzzword and that's not really exactly what I mean, but just ingredients like if it's pasta, just pasta and then how you can adorn the pasta or if it's, if it's dried beans, you can cook them from scratch or you could use a canned bean and you know, drain it. I chose not to include any nutrition information in my recipes because I, be, since it wasn't for an audience that had chronic disease, I think that most of us as a, you know, human adults um, eating, um, when we're, if, we're, if we're really too focused on counting macros and you know, checking our calorie count, I guess I would question the person that does that, like why? Maybe you are trying to lose weight, um, but then perhaps my books could fit, but that wasn't really the ideal reader for the, you know, the book, for the um, book that I wrote. Um, yeah. yeah, so 
It's kind of an interesting question. So much of our, if you go to cookbooks now, I bet if you look at the top 100 cookbooks right now on Amazon, I bet 25 or more are probably keto books. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know. Keto is like huge now. Keto and intermittent fasting are huge. Um, probably some paleo thrown in and then a lot of baking books. So, you know, I always think it's kind of funny um, <laughs> how that ends up happening. We've, we've still got to have our desserts no matter what kind of uh, yeah. um, diet, diet plan that we're on, you know. Oh, yeah, I agree. I, I've, uh, I tried the keto. I did it for a little bit. It, it definitely worked. It did what it was supposed to do, I suppose. But thing is, I just, I, you know, the way I grew up, I, I love to eat. Man. It's hard. It's hard yep. to, uh, to yep. remove all the stuff. Yep. Like the fasting yep. is even harder. <laughs> yeah. And I think I, you know, we were, I grew up in a big family and, and we tended to be tall. And I think we had our height to our advantage. But um, I also grew up in a family too that, you know, family meals and cooking at home was important. I feel like we're kind of swinging back around to that maybe a little bit, perhaps um, people learning, hopefully, how to prepare some of their own food. But so I just really wrote a book that um, followed the seasons of Kentucky, taught about what seasonal cooking was, connected it to the local landscape and local ingredients. And um, I still would argue that if someone committed to cooking at home almost every night of the week, I think they would be, quote unquote, maybe healthier. <laughs> um, you know, in a lot of ways. Um, I think it gives us a chance to slow down. I think cooking is the most excellent way to stop at the end of the day, make some space for doing something different, spend time with people you care about, feed yourself well, and um, pass that on to your children if you have that. And, um, you know, it's just, I just think it serves a lot of really wonderful purposes. A hundred percent. It keeps... I think I forget. Oh, what's my mom? My mom saying is uh, a worn out dinner seats means you have a good family. <laughs> that's, that's something like that. Yeah, yeah, um, that's right. Worn, the chairs at the table. You mean the ones that the, the seats look like? They, a lot of people have been sitting there for a while. Yes, yeah, it's something. Yeah, no, I I agree. But, I think it's um, it's, I think it's the greatest gift I was given, and it's the greatest gift I can give. And, you know, it's not that mealtimes, it's always easy. And I'm not trying to romanticize it too much. But I think if we all commit to something for supper, and why yeah. not commit to something um, different? I guess I wanted to be countercultural in that way. I was always willing to um, take the time to just um, spend in my kitchen. And um, yeah. yeah. So this might be a tough question, but uh, like what, what goes into a good recipe? Obviously all recipes are different, but like, is there kind of a formula or, you know, or do you yeah. just try something and you're like, Oh, that tastes good. That worked or that didn't work. Well, good recipe writers typically are inspired people. And I don't know if you, maybe as a, if you've written things, you know, even as a writer, you have to be, you have to be living a life where you feel inspired because if you sit down and you're not inspired, you, you're going to not have anything. That's what, you're just not going to have anything to write. So when you're sitting down to write recipes and think about what you might want to create for a recipe, I think it's really important to be inspired, to stay plugged into things that you enjoy in the cooking or food world, whether it's reading menus, going, you know, um, seeing what people do at restaurants, reading food magazines. Um, but, but ultimately, when it comes time for a cookbook writer to write their own recipes, I typically recommend that they turn 
the blinders on and not focus on everybody else's content for a while because that's where a lot of people get stuck. Okay, so then they think, okay, I'm going to write a cookbook and it's going to be, you know, maybe six chapters and it's going to be about, um, let's just use breakfast for as, so we can talk about a different meal. They want to have a lot of really good healthy breakfast recipes. So they might start thinking about the kinds of things that they already cook and um, start to kind of just form a skeleton-like outline of the kinds of recipes they might want to create. Because if they're cooking a lot, chances are they're not relying on recipes a lot. And the first thing's going to have to be to start to record and document what it is you're already doing. Um, I always recommend that my students be habitually cooking or baking and keeping being a student of food and keeping track of what they cook, you know, writing things down. So um, the first draft of a recipe comes not probably just from sitting down and like saying, okay, what might the working recipe title be? Um, I don't think we, you can guess maybe on a yield or a serving size and then the list of ingredients that would go into that recipe followed by a set of instructions like how it might go together. And then um, if you have a head note, a lot of people in cookbooks, when they read cookbooks, they love a really robust or nice head note that introduces the recipe, maybe talks about the history of the recipe or how they were inspired to create the recipe, plus any tips for the cook, um, serving suggestions, can it be prepared ahead, um, substitutions that might be appropriate, things like that. So I always recommend to my students, they get that written first and then they go back to the kitchen and they take the recipe that they've written and they test it just exactly as they have written it. And then they're going to know at that point, okay, I forgot this step or I forgot this ingredient or I need to add less of this or more of that. And then to make their notes on the recipe that they actually wrote, go back and do the edits on your computer and then probably test it sometimes multiple times to get it to the point where you want to let that recipe go out for someone else to test. And there is a step in cookbook writing that that is typically um, highly recommended that other cooks test your recipe so that you know that they work in another kitchen. Got it. Okay. So yeah, this is definitely, it's not easy. That's for sure. No, no, it's not easy. But I think that um, most of the time, the people that if you look across the cookbook landscape, people that write cookbooks, unless they hire a ghostwriter, I'm guessing they spend a lot, they like to cook and they're probably spending a lot of time in their kitchen. Um, it's the different. part that is, so I, th I don't think the cooking is like the habit to cook is probably not hard. The habit to bake is probably already there. It's the actual step where you have to stop and say, okay, now let me put this recipe together and then I got to write it. You know, I got I to gotta write it down. I tell some of my students if they really struggle with this, they could talk their recipe into the audio recorder on their iPhone. Um, just say, I'm right, this is a recipe for scrambled eggs with fresh herbs, and um, we're gonna use four eggs, you know, and talk it and then have it transcribed. And then you have a place to start because that actually allows you to let your voice enter into the way the recipe is written because the way you talk should be the way I think that your recipes are written. Um, so, that also prevents you from copying someone else's work, which in, you know, writing, we know plagiarism is not allowed. The problem with the recipe is that a basic set of instructions is not copyright protected. Um, but 
the way that it's expressed is copyright protected. And if it's in a book, it is copyright protected as a group or a set of recipes. Um, so I always encourage my students to start from scratch, no pun intended, with like writing their recipes in their own words, um, because nobody owns the recipe for scrambled eggs. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, you know, it's in hundreds of cookbooks, probably thousands, but it's my interpretation and my description of how you prepare that dish in my own book and in my own way that makes that recipe in that particular book, my recipe. Got it. And then, so to me, I feel like it would be one of the hardest parts. And I guess the more you cook, obviously, you, maybe you develop kind of this muscle memory, for lack of better terminology, of like, like redoing the recipe until it's up to your liking. Because what I think is kind of interesting is, is it's kind of like marketing in a sense. It's like, you know, to marketing you can be good at marketing, but you can always be better. It's not like something that it's like, you know, once you've achieved uh, a marketing achievement with your business or grown your business, that's not the end. It's like, it can always be scaled further. So 100%. I guess what I mean by that is when you cook something, you could be, you could cook it exactly as you wrote it. And you could be like, I really like this, but it's an eight out of 10. And I feel like I might go a little, I don't want to use the word crazy, but I'd be like, well, what can I do to make it a little better? And then you try that. So I feel like I would go on these recipe tangents for like, I'd try like 50 times or something. Yeah. So no, I think that's a very real fear for some people is how do they know that they're good enough is good enough for the reader? How yeah. do they know that they're good enough is going to be um, accepted out in print? And um, you'd never really know, but I do believe that you're right cooking is a journey, recipe writing is a journey. And the way that I wrote my recipes in 2011, I was actually reading a few of them because I was putting together some um, lists for um, Thanksgiving because I'm hosting this year and I make homemade eggnog every year and I was looking at looking something up and I thought, oh man, why did I write that that way? Um, <laughs> but you know, so you're right. It's, I think it's just a willingness to say, this is the very best I have at this point in time and know a, that not everybody's going to like it, and B, it, that doesn't really matter because a lot of people are going to like it, and those are the people that we need to try to reach. Got it, yeah. And so, and I'm sure this is probably hard for you, but what's like your favorite, what's your favorite uh, dish? <laughs> um, at, well, I was thinking about Thanksgiving. I mean, my favorite dish is um, stuff, the, the dressing or the stuffing that goes along with the turkey. Um, I honestly can say that's one dish that I don't think I ever make any other time of the year except Thanksgiving. Um, yeah. You know, if I roast a chicken during the year or if we cook a turkey breast, but that's not even, we don't usually cook turkey any other time. But if I roast a chicken or we have chicken some other time of the year, I very rarely make stuffing. We'll make cornbread because we're from Kentucky and cornbread is often a side dish, but to make the stuffing, we just don't do that on a, a regular basis. So I love that. Um, I, I do love seasonal foods and recipes that I only make once a year, like the homemade eggnog. I'll make it in November. We serve it. You can keep it in the refrigerator, the eggnog base. It, it stores very well. And um, I only make that once a year. Certain kinds of Christmas cookies I only make once a year. Um, you know, so it's really fun for me to look at the cooking that I do. And my favorites then end up being the things that I don't make. Um, very often. Now, the things that I make on a regular basis, like I love um, 
I've always loved like red beans and rice. I can make that with my eyes closed. I, I love things like that. I love to make different kinds of soups and um, I love to make our own salad dressings. Oh, cool. Okay. Well, what, like what kind of soups do you make? Well, um, last week, my um, son, he, I have a college age son, he, his girlfriend had to have some surgery. So I thought I'm going to make her some soup. But one of my favorite soups to make is um, a base of onion, celery and carrot. So you pr start pretty standard, just like any other soup. But then to that, you add smoked paprika, a little bit of turmeric and some ginger and garlic. And then you add the broth and it makes this really delicious, like smoky, gingery broth. And then I just add other vegetables to it. I think for her, I put maybe a little bit of um, rice and some chickpeas and some sweet potatoes. And um, it just makes a really delicious, um, refreshing soup. I think the ginger kind of makes it refreshing and it's kind of a surprise. Um, but I just love um, cooking when you start with this basic thing like carrots, onion, celery, and then just add some simple spices and some good vegetables and it's a very warm and nourishing dish. Nice. Yeah. I, I love, like I, I love soups in general, but I actually, I love the broth the most. Yeah. So sometimes I'll just like, my mom will make like chicken noodle soup and I'll just drink the broth. Like, okay. Yeah. hundred yeah, no, percent. But, um, and actually you, you might know, I'm curious if you know about this, like some people I've heard of like, um, there's like diets out there where people will go like it's like a cleanse or something. Yeah, I think so. Drink broth for like. Yeah, I think it's it's part of it. Um, some people when they, I don't know how they can call it true fasting if they're drinking broth and coffee with cream because I I would imagine I think the whole purpose of fasting is to not have your insulin spiking. Um, yeah. But I I think for some for some fasting programs broth is a part of that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, so, yeah. And I guess, yeah, it'd probably be like a broth that maybe a, a basic broth. If you Correct. Want. I don't think it would have any added ingredients in it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, well, yeah. so what's kind of with, with green apron, what's kind of like your, your vision for what's coming next? So like, are, are you going to continue to write more? Obviously you're helping other people do their own cookbooks as well. Um, yeah. Where do you see it in the future? Well, the for for Green Apron, I do see it um, shifting um, primarily to the online space. I love teaching online. I love the creating the courses, working with my students. It's been you know very rewarding because I feel like um, I get to teach them how to make an impact in their world with their techniques and recipes and knowledge and skills and. Um, that's very rewarding. So that part of it will continue to grow. And um, I, I like that part. As far as my book journey, um, I had two cookbooks published in the fall of 2018. They were both um, pantry cookbooks. One was a plant-based pantry cookbook and one was not, which means the plant-based book didn't have any meat, dairy, or eggs, and the other one did. And um, so I don't, so it's 2019. It's been a little bit over a year since they were published. I'm not sure that I have a cookbook in me next. I keep thinking about nonfiction. I keep thinking about the space of um, feeling inspired and being inspired and inspiring other people. 
and what that means to me when I meet other inspirational people and um, how we can become that kind of person for other people. So I don't have any idea where that might go, but I, lo I love that kind of uh, um, idea. And then so something funny, I was talking to another cookbook writer and she actually is starting to write fiction under a pen name and selling it like on Amazon. So I don't know if I could take the jump to fiction. Got, That's oh. a whole different, you know, people might think cookbooks are hard to write. I think the whole story arc and, um, you know, the whole way that a, a novel or story has to flow. Um, I don't know. I, I. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I'm with you. I cannot imagine. And I guess you have to have a good imagination <laughs> to write, uh, to write fiction. <laughs> yes. Uh, so yes. for, I always say that like I, you know, my background is just marketing. I feel like I just, it's a natural, and obviously I've learned, but I, I just understand it. But to be an editor or like a fiction writer, something like that is just, I don't think my, my brain just doesn't even have that. I'm like, how would you do that? I know. It's, I know. Uh, it is kind of different. And, and, I, and I guess it really is just a matter of what we're used to because, you know, marketing for you comes so easy. And then the recipe writing and the, the, the cookbook writing, you know, comes pretty easy to me. I tell my students, I've, I, I probably could pitch an idea to a cookbook publisher tomorrow, the people that I'm in relationships with, and they might say, hey, that's a great idea. Why don't you write that book? So I, I think when I get to that point with something, it's not that I don't want to do it anymore, but I always challenge myself to kind of like find something new to dig into a little bit. Got it. Yeah. Well, listen, thank you for coming on the show. This it was really cool to just get your perspective. Um, You're welcome. So, you know, last question, and, you know, we have talked about Green Apron, but what's the website? And then if, okay. if you want to connect with you personally, what? Yeah, the a couple of different ways they can do that. Um, I do have a um, checklist called, Are You Ready to Write a Cookbook? You're welcome to download that and kind of look at that checklist. It kind of, once you go through it, it'll kind of become obvious that there's these different checkpoints or kind of considerations for what you might want to do with, um, for a cookbook writing project with a focus on um, a traditional publisher. Traditional publishers do like um, someone that comes with visibility and readership. The bigger you are going after for a publisher, the bigger your readership or platform might need to be. But um, you can download that at, I have it on a URL called Cookbook Camp. So cookbookcamp.com www.cookbookcamp.com and download that checklist. The other way you can connect with me is um, I'm pretty active on Facebook. I have a um, Green Apron Company Facebook page, um, a private Facebook group called the Confident Cookbook Writer. That's a free group. You're welcome to join if you're thinking about writing a cookbook. It's kind of a fun place to get some advice and tips um, without making any, you know, big commitment, but it's a cookbook focused group and then also on instagram at green apron got it thank you again for coming on the show you're welcome tyler thanks so much for having me